All right, we are back. Political theory and um, other stuff. Mike and Paul uh, doing um, the book is called The Racial Contract. And that means I need to put this other book away and pull that book out. Um, and uh, we are on the details uh, chapter. The section was called, um, fuck, what is this section called? The racial contract underwrites the modern social contract, and it's, um, I'm not sure if we've talked about it yet on on here. Who knows uh, what the percentage is, but I'm sure some of our listeners don't give a shit um, and don't know what we're talking about. But um, I'm still, I just wanted to, to give, uh, give Vosh a shout out for going on Tim Pool's um, fucking um, show. I thought he I'm did. I'm even wearing uh, a beanie today. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> Not in tribute um, to Tim Pool. That makes it sound weird. In, in tribute to in to Vasha's bravery. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't grow speed as nice which, as a beard, so I just have to go out the think out the box. Uh, speed of which people wanted Vosh to wear a beanie. I'm glad he didn't. It would have been funny, yeah. but it definitely would have made it uh, right off the bat uh, a little more Advil. Although I watched the stream via. And I'm sorry, I forget his name. It's not like a Xander Hall. Thing. Yeah, Xander Hall. And he commented on Vosh's hair like 15 times. It yeah, was what like his say? most like probably thing he added. Uh, I, I it was hard for me to tell, but you know, I mean, on stream a lot, Vosh has that like silky smooth uh, ponytail yep. and stuff, and uh, it was somewhat noticeable. Once it was pointed out, I would have never been like, "Holy shit!" But Vosh's hair was a little frizzy. It was a little frizzy. Okay, a beanie okay. may have even helped. Right. Or yeah. maybe yeah. it was frizzy because he was like, I'm going to do the beanie. And then like mm, two minutes before, it's like, nah, fuck it. And just. Uh... <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Vosh did a great job. And I'm super glad that he uh, recommended um, Destiny to Tim Pool to have Destiny on. You know, I think that um, speaks a lot to Vosh's character that Destiny could say uh, the things he did about, you know, Vosh wanting to destroy destiny or whatever and and uh financially and then yet vosh is like hey destiny and i aren't, aren't on the best terms but he would be a, a good interlocutor i could honestly at this point especially because of that uh a video i recently watched not that uh, destiny has said he's like not that destiny said he's like fully into reaching back out to vosh but uh i could see them uh, mending, at some point mending yeah. bridges or whatnot yeah um, yeah especially because vosh could legitimately help destiny figure out youtube or okay like yep. vosh has a much higher youtube presence than destiny if like he could get some of that to sway destiny's way yeah totally view, view count wise on uh while we got uh talking about destiny i'm not sure if i brought it up but um i want to now because the motherfucker said this again in the conversation i heard today uh he said the whole well you know these liberal kids care about or they say they care about climate change but if you came up to them and yes. asked them to get, give a hundred dollars to it you know they're all gonna say no and it's like dude the government the u.s government never works that way with anything we would do nothing yeah. if everything had to be prepaid for right like, like if they just like came around and demanded money to build a new road yeah. like what like you can vote this year but you have to pay the hundred dollar, you know, ballot tax or whatever. Like explicitly, right. yep. everybody like, no, nah, I'm not gonna vote. Yeah, it's uh, people get mad that 
the government wants them to have health care. Like, yep. they view tax exemptions as direct fines in so many examples. And so, yeah, to even imagine uh, that world is, is wild. Um, yeah. And such yeah. and a, and an odd bad faith argument from somebody who usually yep. doesn't, like, play that game explicitly. Yes. Um, yep, yep, yep. I totally agree. I totally agree. So I just wanted to point that out because that bugs me so much. I really hope that someone can get to him and, you know, set him straight on that. Or maybe there's something I'm not I'm not seeing in that argument, but I think it, it seems to me to be just so asinine. Well, and it's just an extension of like, this is your fault. Like climate change. It's sorry. It's just an extension kind of of like, well, climate change is your fault. Right, right. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's also, I think... I think if you could lay out a plan that like explicitly said or like, you know, had a way, a real path to uh, really mitigating climate change, uh, a lot of people might, more people than I think he suspects would be willing to be like pay an extra hundred in taxes a year, even if you yeah. phrased it like yeah. that, because that's less than a $10 tax a month. If you were like, look, here's the fucking plan. We also think it will put this many jobs back into the economy. You know, we will also put some of this money into making fuel efficient cars more affordable, things of that nature. If that was like part of the plan, I think a lot of uh, at least people in our age bracket, you might be looking at 45% of people who would be happy about it and maybe 60% who would go along without being furious. Um, And that's pretty decent numbers for for a plan that also i think and this could be my naivete would pan out to be uh, a, a net positive kind of fdr style you know uh, i imagine uh, people are always like oh biden wants an fdr size presidency it's like yeah but fdr was pretty fucking well received <laughs> like he wasn't like a, a andrew jackson or some shit uh, right yeah totally totally and i think uh yeah you're probably right about the the increased tax but even so there was no increased tax that I'm aware of for either the Iraq war or Afghanistan. Right. right. So it's like, dude, if we don't have to increase taxes for, to, to be able to do those things, then what are we talking about? Well, here? and the other thing is, uh, and I should look more into this, but I've just been shown the idea via an article, is that the amount that our government and governments worldwide were able to immediately get together for COVID spending uh, really debunks a lot of myths about environmental spending capabilities of governments, especially like this money has no return realistically. And it's uh, obviously not popular politically, but is necessary for any reasonable society. And but the, the amounts that have gone into COVID relief programs, you know, PPE gear, things of that nature dwarf a lot of what the environmental plans ask for uh, in a much shorter time. Um, without even any like fiscal, you know, examination or planning into it, so it's not yeah. really a, a question of possibility anymore. It's a question of will. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, um, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Now we're on contemporary, right? Or are we on yep. the black? Yes. Yes. Okay. No. 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 You're right. Uh, contemporary. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, Middle of page 76. Uh, Contemporary debates between non-whites and whites about the centrality or peripherality peripherality of race can thus be seen as attempts respectively to point out and deny the existence of the racial contract that underpins the social contract. The frustrating problem non-whites have always had and continue to have with mainstream political theory is not with abstraction itself, begin parentheses, 
After all, the racial contract is itself an abstraction, end parentheses, but with an idealizing abstraction that abstracts away from the crucial realities of the racial polity. The shift to the hypothetical, ideal contract encourages and facilitates this abstraction, since the eminently non-ideal features of the real world are not part of the apparatus. There is then, in a sense, no conceptual point of entry to start talking about the fundamental way in which, as all non-whites know, race structures one race structures one's life and affects one's life chances. Um, yeah, it happens constantly, <laughs> just constantly, at least in modern society. To the point where, in a lot of online communities, if you even bring up the racial, the systemic racial oppression. Uh, the right wing has now, depending on who they're talking to, able to weave a narrative of them being racist. Like, well, you're the one just bringing up, you know, racial minorities and stuff. Everybody has equalness now. So for you to even bring up race proves that you're the racist and I am the non-race. You know, I mean, shit like that is possible because of that concept. The black law professor Patricia Williams complains about an ostensible neutrality that is really racism in drag. That's uh, a system of racism has status quo, which is deep, angry, eradicated from view, but continues to make people avoid the phantom as they did the substance. Damn. Uh, deferring to the unseen shape of things, the black philosophy professor Bill Lawson comments on the deficiencies of the conceptual apparatus of traditional liberalism, which has no room for the peculiar post-emancipation status of blacks, simultaneously citizens and non-citizens. The black philosopher of law, Anita Allen, remarks on the irony of standard American philosophy of law texts, which describe a universe in which all humans are paradigm rights holders, and see no need to point out that the actual U.S. record is somewhat different. The retreat of mainstream normative moral and political theory into an ideal theory that ignores race merely rescripts the racial contract as the invisible writing between the lines. So John Rawls, an American working in the late 20th century, writes a book on justice widely credited with reviving post-war political philosophy in which not a single reference to American slavery and its legacy can be found. And Robert Nozick creates a theory of justice in holdings predicated on legitimate acquisition and transfer without more than two or three sentences acknowledging the utter divergences of U.S. history from the idea. That's, that, that's so important, that whole uh, U.S. history from this ideal. Nozick is able to, or, or chooses to exist in an ideal framework so that he doesn't have to uh, wrestle with the complexities of uh, the racial contract. And it's a, a thought pattern that's alive and well today. You know, I mean, Trump in the debate was like, or maybe it was Pence, uh, was like, no, dude, we can't be having this racial sensitivity training. It makes people hate America. It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, thus far, the book's made it pretty clear that you don't even have to discuss uh, the racial contract for it to persist. And at the same time, we've got a president who, you know, even um, these milquetoast commentators on like CNN say that he's not using dog whistles. He's using uh, a foghorn, you know, like the, the, the dude is just, uh, you know, on some next level, in my opinion, just like blatantly racist shit. When he says stuff like, I saved the suburbs for you. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, especially considering the man's age. 
mm-hmm. like a, maybe a 20 something year old. Um, not that I wouldn't buy, they didn't know what they were saying, but m- maybe could state that they didn't understand the historical significance of that statement or something of that nature, you know, but Trump is 74 years old. That man knows exactly what he's doing when he calls out the suburbs or things of that nature. Like, yeah, these are exact identical shit to what happened in his youth, realistically, and yeah. not like youth, youth. He wasn't like five or six yeah. when this shit was going on. He was right. draft dodging. Uh, at Wharton yep. or whatever. Uh, and so yep. with bone spurs, you have a lot of time to just sit and absorb uh, the world around you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, totally, uh, don't totally. buy for two seconds that he doesn't know exactly what the fuck he's saying. Totally, totally. Okay. Uh, the silence of mainstream moral and political philosophy on issues of race is a sign of the continuing power of the contract over its signatories and illusionary colorblindness that actually entrenches white privilege. A genuine transcendence of its terms would require, as a preliminary, the acknowledgement of its past and present existence and the social, political, economic, psychological, and moral implications it has had both for its contractors and its victims. By treating the present as a somehow neutral baseline with its given configuration of wealth, property, social standing, and psychological willingness to sacrifice, the idealized social contract renders permanent the legacy of the racial contract. The ever-deepening abyss between the first world and the third world, where millions largely non-white die of starvation each year, and many more hundreds of millions also largely non-white live in wretched poverty, is seen as unfortunate, calling certainly for the occasional charitable contribution, but unrelated to the history of transcontinental and intracontinental racial exploitation. Now that's that's so so important. I mean, we've we've talked about it a lot, but uh, it was like we were just saying the whole well, show me a, a a law that's racist is exactly what he's talking about here. So many good points. Like I will. I would almost buy, not buy into it, but I'll start to believe racial equity and its existence a little bit more when it's even allowed to be talked about. Like that transcendence line he has, transcendence line he has in the beginning of that paragraph where it's like it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be equity. It would be equality. equality. Right? Yes. Good call. Sorry. Yes. Good call. Because yeah, that's the thing is it's like if you really bought into this equality stuff, you would be comfortable talking about it. But any right wing person will just get flustered and angry uh, and start throwing out race politics shit. They won't be able to just talk about it. And that right there, I think, is a very good indicator that we are nowhere near the place that these people pretend we are. And yeah, and I mean, we've talked about it countless times, especially I think in um, capitalist realism, just about the the sweeping under the rug of the unbelievable exploitation of other parts uh, of the world and, yep. and with arguments yep. like, well, yeah, dude, but uh, India a thousand years ago, what about that? And you're just like, what? <laughs> okay. It's like, yeah, do you know that India yep. 500 years ago didn't have electricity? Yeah. You can thank in the, uh, you know, England for that. And it's just like, all right, Jesus fucking Christ. Or um, justifying or like at least lessening, or trying to lessen the brutality of the situation in the U.S. by pointing to <laughs> right, Africa, yeah. saying stuff like, 
Well, I mean, if they were in Africa, it would be way worse. Like, yeah. they're, it's good that they're here and, getting shot by our cops. And it's just like uh, they clearly either don't understand or, or, or are unwilling to admit that the reason Africa is the way it is is because of the, um, what does he say, the history of transcontinental yeah. and intercontinental racial exploitation. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, it really is. It's like to get super trendy or whatever the fucking, or old person trendy, it's kind of like pay to win video games, you know? It's just like if you are able to start the game with a bunch more fucking gear, you're going to do a lot fucking better. Uh, and you're also going to be able to dictate how that game fucking goes uh, for everybody who doesn't have that shit. And the game manufacturer will really want everybody to believe that you don't need to spend money and that the money isn't a real advantage. Right. Yep. That was a huge, yep. ridiculous tangent, but whatever. <laughs> it just came to my mind. No, it wasn't a huge yeah. tangent. I, I, I think it's a, a good analogy, you know, because the, the rules are the same yeah. for everyone in the game. It's just some people have tools to make it easier for them. Anyhow, finally, the racial contract evolves not merely by altering the relations between whites and non-whites, but by shifting the criteria for who counts as white and non-white. So it is not merely that relations between the respective populations change, but that the population boundaries themselves change also. Thus, at least in my preferred account of the racial contract, again, other accounts are possible. Race is de-biologized, debiologized, making explicit its political foundation. In a sense, the racial contract constructs ex it constructs its signatories as much as they construct it. The overall trend is toward a limited expansion of the privileged human population through the whitening, in quotes, of the previously excluded group in question, though there may be local reversals. And uh, this is what they're they're talking about when they talk about like capital W whiteness, you know, um, th this idea that um, l like, for instance, uh, the Asian community, the Korean community during the L.A. riots had for a second or, or maybe longer capital W whiteness because, well, for a variety of reasons. But the fact that they had their their shops and they were pr protecting their their capital and their property with uh, firearms against uh, the black and, and Hispanic people put them in the category of whiteness from my perspective. And I'm, I'm sure there are other, well, I know there, oh, and then obviously we've talked about it before, but like the Eastern Europeans and the Italians coming off the boats in uh, New York during the turn of this, the last century, right? Um, and, and how they did um, uh, what they could to remove themselves from the population, uh, you know, from being non-white and being considered uh, white. It's almost like, will Fox News support you? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 The Nazis, or, or better, dude, here's another example. It's almost like, will the NRA support right. you? Yes. Right. Yes. It, Good it, call. If you are shot with a gun, if the NRA says you know, this was so wrong, this was unjust, then you have capital yeah. W whiteness, yeah. Good you call. know. Good call. The Nazi project can, uh, 
the Nazi project can then be seen in part as the attempt to turn the clock back by rewriting a more exclusivist version of the racial contract than was globally accepted at the time. One writer suggests, ironically, that this was the, in quotes, the attempt of the Germans to make themselves masters of the master race. And the backtracking leads to a problem. Uh, my categorization, white slash non-white, person slash subperson, has the virtues of elegance and simplicity and seems to me to map the essential features of the racial polity accurately, to carve the social reality at its ontological joints. But since, as a pair of contradictories, this categorization is jointly exhaustive of the possibilities, it raises the question of where to locate what could be called in quotes, borderline Europeans, white people with a question mark, the Irish, Slavs, Mediterraneans, and above all, of course, Jews. In the colonial wars with Ireland, the English routinely used derogatory imagery, quotes, savages, quotes, cannibals, uh, quotes, bestial appearance, that it would now seem incredible to apply to whites. The wave of mid-century Irish immigration into the United States stimulated one wit to observe that it would be a good thing if every Irishman were to kill a nigger and then be hung for it, end quote. The caricatures in the newspapers often represented the Irishman as Simeon. European racism against non-whites has been my focus, but there were also intra-European varieties of, quote, racism. Tetonism, Anglo-Saxonism, Nordicism, which are today of largely antiquarian uh, interest, but which were sufficiently influential in the 1920s that U.S. immigration law favored Nordics, in quotes, over Mediterraneans, quotes. There is some recognition of the distinction in popular culture, Cheers fans will remember that the Italian uh, waitress, Carla, curly-haired and swarthy, sometimes calls the blonde, alabaster-skinned wasp Diane Whitey. And in the 1992 movie Zebrahead, two black teenagers discuss the question of whether Italians are really white. Finally, Jews, of course, have been the victims of Christian Europe's anti-Semitic discrimination and pogroms since medieval times. This record of persecution reaching its horrific climax under the Third Reich. How, then, should these Europeans be categorized, given the white-non-white dichotomization? One solution would be to reject it for a three- or four-way division, but I am reluctant to do so, since I think uh, the diatonic partition really does capture the essential structure of the global racial polity. My solution, therefore, is to retain but fuzzify the categories introducing internal distinctions within them. I have already pointed out that some non-whites, in quotes, barbarians, as against savages, ranked higher than others. For example, the Chinese and Asian Indians would have been placed above Africans and Australian uh, Aborigines. 
So it would seem that one could also rank whites. And in fact, Winthrop Jordan notes that if Europeans were white, some were whiter than others. All whites are equal then, but some are whiter and so more equal than others. And all non-whites are unequal, but some are blacker and so more unequal than others. The fundamental conceptual cut, the primary division, then remains that between whites and non-whites, and the fuzzy status of inferior whites is accommodated by the category of off-white, in quotes, rather than non-white. Commenting on the failure of the valiant efforts of the English to turn their ethnocentric feelings of superiority over the quote, black Irish into racism, Richard Dronan concludes that the Celts remained at most white niggers in their eyes. And with the exception of Nazi Germany to be discussed later, this seems to me a judgment that could be generalized for all these cases of borderline Europeans. That they were not uh, subpersons in the full technical sense and would all have been ranked ontologically above genuine non-whites. The ease of or the ease with which they have now been assimilated into post-war Europe and accepted as full whites in the United States is some evidence of the correctness of this way of drawing the distinction. Um, I think this is this is really key for those arguments. When Paul and I started this podcast, I didn't think that so much of it would be based around the rhetoric of discussion and debate, but so often we gravitate towards that for whatever reason. And well, and I think the reason is uh, are uh, the the influences that we find online. But I think, but with this situation, what I wanted to say was that um, occasionally you'll come across people being like, yeah, what was done to black people was horrible, but you know, like the Irish were like indentured servants here, um, you know, and there were places that wouldn't let Irish in. And so what he's doing in that paragraph or that section I just read is, is mapping out that a, there, there was a scale of whiteness and off whiteness, but yet there was still a clear distinction between whites and non-whites. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's almost like a group could be chasing a group of Irish people, right? Like out of anger. But then if during that chase they found a group of black people, they could all join in on that chase together. You know, like all of a sudden they'd forget they were chasing Irish people and be like, oh shit, there's black people. All right, Irish people for today, join in on this chase. And even at the worst times, it was like that, you know, for the Irish. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would say that, uh, like, during the um, the draft riots in New York City for the Civil War, they uh, they lynched a bunch of black people, burned down a black orphanage, which I think is hilarious. Like, out of all the fucked up things you could do, like, that is one of the, the worst, you know. But anyhow, um, I have no doubt that although the Irish were, like, the most pissed about that, uh, I have no doubt that that uh, Italians and uh, quote-unquote natives joined in in the, the lynching of those black yeah. people. Oh, there's there's no question. And, you know, I mean, like, if you want to get really historical, yeah, the Celtic or Celtic people have been fucked for extremely long amounts of time, uh, specifically by the Romans. There was a genocide. There's no 
question about that, really, if you want to go back, like, you know, like the Celtic Holocaust or whatever. But, you know, we're going way back. Um, and yeah, there is nobody is trying to say that as a people, the Irish have not suffered. What we are trying to say is that in today's system, in the system that we all live in today, it's it's not the case. Irish people were allowed to immigrate to this country with their wealth. They were allowed to bring things with them. They chose to come here. There was no point where Irish people were forcibly brought here within the last few hundred years. I mean, there were small amounts that were forcibly brought, but we're talking like hundreds, not every Irish person that's here to right. go on a yep. little tangent. Totally. Um, but yeah, so it's like, I, I understand there is historical precedence that yes, some of these, uh, lots of these groups have been historically shit upon and nobody is trying to take that away. What we're trying to discuss are what are the problems facing us in the society we live in today? Uh, I think sometimes we could look to these races or to call them races, we could look to these groups of people has some just like counterpoints as to why it worked. And if you go down almost every time, it is because it's so much easier in modern times, because maybe, you know, the eugenics required for chattel slavery or whatnot, um, to distinguish people on their visible racial color. And that's something that the Irish have not really had to deal with. Totally. Totally. I totally agree. Will you um, finish us? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. wrap her up Um, here. So, uh, nevertheless, these problem cases are useful in illustrating against essentialists the social rather than biological basis of the racial contract. Phenotypical whiteness and European origin were not always sufficient for full whiteness. Sorry. Acceptance into the inner sanctum of the racial club. And the rules had to be written to permit inclusion. One recent book, for example... Bears the title, How the Irish Became White. Exactly, good thing to look into. On the other hand, there are groups clearly not white who have conjuncturally come to be seen as much. The Japanese were classified as honorary whites for the purpose of the Axis Alliance. The restrictive local racial contract as they were in South Africa under apartheid. While being classified as verminous non-whites with respect to the Western allies, inheritors of the global racial contract. Man, that's something I've never really thought of was how much different the Axis powers must have treated Japanese people. Interesting. Yep. A century ago, at the time of the European domination of China and the Boxer Rebellion, the Chinese were a degraded race. Signs were posted saying no dogs or Chinese allowed, and they faced heavy immigration restrictions and discrimination in the United States. Huge tangent, but we're almost done, so I'm going to allow myself to do it. Uh, God, I wish I could remember who made it, but I watched uh, a recent short documentary um about chinese kung fu movies um and how a lot of them like was like bruce lee and stuff um were geared towards breaking the stereotype that chinese people were individually weak or whatnot dude i think i saw that on youtube too was it on youtube yeah it was for sure okay i thought it was just really cool um and to see that you know in the 70s bruce lee kicking signs that were like no chinese allowed and stuff like that yep I just thought it was an interesting tidbit, not that I... Uh, yeah, absolutely. And they faced heavy immigration restrictions and discrimination in the United States. Yellow peril depictions of Chinese in the American popular media in the early 20th century included the sinister orientals of Sox Romer's Fu Manchu novels and the Ming the Merciless nemesis of Flash Gordon. But today, in the United States, Asians are seen as a model minority, even according to Andrew Hacker probationary whites who might make it if they hang in there long enough. Is yellow, black, or white, asks one Asian American historians. 
historian, the answer varies. The point, then, is that membership requirements for the whiteness are rewritten over time with shifting criteria prescribed by the evolving racial contract. Yeah, and uh, that's that's the end of that segment. But I wanted to say that, uh, if I remember correctly, the first uh, legislation about racial immigration in the U.S. was the Chinese yep. Exclusion Act. Yep. And so, obviously, you know, the, the, the racism against Asians in the U.S. Was, was profound. But, you know, obviously, if the... Africans, if it hadn't have been as easy to to enslave the Africans, but it had been easier to enslave the Asians, we would have done oh, that. Yeah. You oh, know, no it's question. not it's not like there was some inherent superiority th- that was viewed by the whites for the Asians. Totally anecdotally, I'm Armenian, and my Armenian ancestors started coming here as railroad railroad workers. And uh, their racism towards the Chinese was uh, obscene because that's who they okay. were in competition of. And, you know, yeah. as certainly when they came over, Armenians definitely were straddling that, like, white, non-white category. Right. Or off-white. off-white right. Maybe. Like, uh, like yeah. I am very white, uh, but my grandpa was very dark. Okay. And so you just mix a little bit of, uh, one of, I don't even know what else I am, maybe Irish, English, get some whiteness in there, and that Armenian fades quick. So... Next time, we're doing um, the next section. It starts on page 81, and it's called uh, The Racial Contract Has to Be Enforced Through Violence and Ideological Conditioning. We look forward to diving into that next time. Um, Just on uh, a a real personal side note, we can cut this out if we want. Uh, You know, today is November 3rd, 2020. So, uh, yeah, uh, just historically a pretty significant day. Hopefully, the next time we record, Joe Biden is president. I would, I would hope. Yep. Logically, uh, I, it seems like that'll be the or, case. Or, or maybe not, not maybe not the next time we record. The next hopefully time. Hopefully, by the time we upload yes, this, yes. good call. Joe Biden will be good um, call. Uh, if if not the president, president elect. Hopefully, um, you know, if not, it's not like I'll be shocked, but I, I will be feel weird, <laughs> I guess, about uh, big time. Big time about the uh, the given parts of the society that I thought uh, were uh, just granted uh, will feel a lot different. You know, I, I I'll backtrack that a little bit. If it turns out that our country votes overwhelmingly for Trump, like if Trump wins and just like a landslide, then I'll just understand that my viewpoints maybe don't fit in here very well right um but if it's the case that trump wins because of supreme court decisions of legal votes being thrown out things of that nature then yeah i'll start to or just not count it right exactly you know? um then uh things will start to feel even more um dystopian and uh and fascist than they already do yep. which is which is pretty pretty uh, authoritarian and pretty fascist yeah, you yeah. Know? and not and not like hyperbole wise um we're not this isn't what our show is for so we're not gonna run a gamut of uh potentially fascist things but if you've paid any attention to things that we've read and any attention to things that are going on it's not exactly the same today as some of these other things regardless we're still here uh we're still able to record this podcast and because of that i've had a good day and i sure as heck hope that y'all have a good day as well president trump if you see this, please save us. <laughs> I don't even see our American flag anymore. Biden's talking with some kind of crazy flag.
This is America. This is our land. Please, President Trump. Please, please, I hope you have a plan. God, please save us. Save us from the devil, please. Y'all, I'm about to have a panic attack. <laughs> this is our country. Our country. This is awful. God, please save us, please.